Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Fandom Talk, everyone. Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Um, first and foremost, uh, we have with us today uh, our wonderful other correspondents. Um, we're going to start off with the wise sage, Josh Hardesty. How's it going? Then we also have uh, uh, Raven over here, uh, Jenny. Hey, what's up? And then, of course, we also have our wonderful correspondent, uh, Red Lanyard, uh, better known as Al. Hello, hello. Yep, and Al is going to be, uh, he's in the hot seat tonight. We're, uh, for those of you that have been listening uh, to some of our recent podcasts, we are getting back to Phantom Defense Court tonight. Um, and if you've been listening, if you haven't been listening to the format, this is your first time. First and foremost, welcome once again. Uh, and we are so glad that you are listening to us. Um, but basically the way the Phantom Defense Court works is that you have a character that you're defending. The rest of us are coming up with questions that you have to defend against. Um, but tonight is, with the first round that we did, you knew the characters you were defending. Tonight's going to be a little bit different because you, Al does not know who he's defending. Um, the only thing that's 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 really the only thing that's majorly different is he does not know who he's defending. We know the characters that he likes, so we kind of have to go within some of those parameters. But uh, yeah, like what do you say? Like yes, yeah, yeah, so like like we did with Josh. Uh, we Josh actually defended uh, Lorelai Gilmore on the first <laughs> one, which was um, a bit different than what we that had one was, that was hard to top and i don't I, i'm not totally sure we did this is gonna be a good one but i don't know if we top more like good more agreed agreed um but uh but yeah and then last week um we did also have we had kind of a specialty one um that josh and al did where it was the last of Us spoiler cast so if you were had a chance to play last of Us part two and you want to hear a little bit about our uh, opinions on the game uh definitely check out that podcast i am not on it because i had not beat the beaten the game at the time so I was not in the, I was not part of it. However, I'm going to go ahead and say that I pretty much back everything that that they said in that video. Um, Last of Us is great. It's a draining game emotionally, so maybe just kind of be ready for that whenever you get in there. But if you haven't had a chance to play it, you definitely should. If you want, especially if you are interested in playing the game, that is definitely definitely a big contender in taking video games into an actual art form, as as Josh has kind of coined that coined that kind of phrase and everything. Um, but anyways, so our first segment tonight, before we get into Fandom Defense Court, uh, we kind of we typically at the beginning of these podcasts like to talk about things that have been going on in the world of fandom throughout the week, and nothing has really dominated at least my social media accounts more um, this week than Hamilton. Um, now, a large part of that has also been because I myself have been adding to that on my social media accounts because I have just fallen in love with this musical um and uh for and if you did not know if somehow you missed this it is on disney plus right now um you can watch the performances you can also listen to the entirety of the soundtrack on spotify and i'm assuming itunes as well um and if you get a chance you absolutely should listen uh listen to it just because there is so much in it from whether it's a history standpoint whether it's a music standpoint um, if you get a chance to watch it, the acting in it is fantastic. I expected them to be good. I didn't know they were going to be that good from having listened to the music before watching the actual performances. Um, but uh, we're going to go ahead and toss the. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and toss it to Al first because Al, you were the you're the only one who I did not know. 
like what your previous thoughts were on Hamilton before watching on Disney Plus. I knew that Alyssa loved the musical, um, mm-hmm. but I did not know if you if you had listened to the music or if you had seen anything. Uh, so what what do you think about watching on Disney Plus and had did you had you had any kind of prior experience with it or anything? Um, yeah, I had I had heard a bunch of the music, um, especially when the musical first um, came out on Broadway. I'd heard a bunch of the music uh, just because uh, my fiance Alyssa was really into it. Um, she and I had not had a chance to go and see the play anywhere. Um, so, so it was really cool when it came out on Disney Plus. Um, I do want to say that I think if Broadway musicals were made available and accessible um, the same way that they made Hamilton on Disney Plus, if like recordings of them and stuff were available to stream on various platforms and stuff. Um, I think that the theatrical musical would be like everybody's favorite form of art. If all of them were like um, accessible the way that Hamilton is because like, I don't know, man, it kicked ass. It was awesome. It was so cool. Um, I was really impressed with, um, obviously the music in it is fantastic. All the vocalists are really, really talented. Um, I was really impressed with the writing just from the standpoint of like the musical is called Hamilton. Um, and obviously a very big portion of the musical is on Alexander Hamilton. Um, but like, it's just as much a story about Alexander as it is about his wife, Eliza. And like, in my opinion, it's in a lot of ways, it's just as much about Alexander and Eliza as it is about Aaron Burr, because you get to see a lot of really cool insights with him and his life. And it was just, I don't know. It was really cool. It's not very often you see a story that handles um, splitting the focus on so many characters like that, but it was really is really awesome. I've watched it twice now, and I've listened to the soundtrack when I'm not watching it. So it's good stuff. Everyone should watch it. Absolutely, Jenny. Your thoughts on it? This the uh, watching on Disney Plus was your first time. Yes. With any of um, it. Yeah. Starbucks had released the music as a playlist a few months ago, mm-hmm. um, but I can't resonate with musicals music without seeing it the acting behind it mm-hmm. so like i it just didn't click with me and i knew it wouldn't so i didn't try to like enjoy it until i got to see it on disney plus like i knew it was going to be good but you know i just have to visualize like the acting behind the music before i can like get into it mm-hmm. so when i saw it on disney plus like it just blew me away um like the like Al said, like the acting and like the the writing um i loved how much they focused on eliza and, like, uh, they talked about, like, you know, the impact she made on America herself. And, uh, yeah, I was just very, very impressed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I cried a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a, I so, do apologize. I um, think a lot of people don't realize yeah. how emotional it is. But it is very, very emotional. Just because, again, of the acting. You know, mm. if you don't see the faces and the acting behind it, it just doesn't have the same impact. And it's just, uh, it's really... It's incredible. Mm. Josh, what are your what were your thoughts on the on the play? Oh, I was uh, obviously blown away by it. Um, I had uh, I would probably say, um, you know, I mean, I, I think I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, it's 
for me, it's probably my favorite musical uh, ever. And um, and like I, I, I was I was consistently going back to that one time where uh, you know I I just walked into Jake's room at five o'clock in the morning and was like, here you just need to, you just need to listen to this. You just need to listen to the rest <laughs> of this because he had listened to some of it and uh, but he hadn't finished it. And I, I was like, I, yeah, you just need to, you just need to listen to all of it. You just need to like right now, you know. And Jake was just like, okay, go away. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Wake up right now and listen to this. And it was because it, it is it's that it's that effective uh, of a musical. And, um, Which and I, I, I think I did actually go ahead and listen to the rest did. of it at like five <laughs> in the morning. Now that I think about it, and uh, and I just remember like the the you know I, I I like I like musicals quite a bit, and uh, um, you know this one I think uh, really really sets a new benchmark, um, and and I think what Disney Plus did and how they how they were able to shoot it and everything because it is shot, you know, with multiple camera angles like a movie. And I and I agree with Al. If they would do things like that, I think um, I think Broadway would um, definitely broaden its audience. I, but the only thing I'm, I think is I'm not totally sure Broadway wants to broaden its audience that way. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda uh, is a completely different beast than what else, than what everything else is on Broadway. You know, like I mean, Lin Manuel Miranda is like, you know, if you're a school, you can use this musical for free. You know, if you want to perform your own versions of this musical, you can do it for free, that kind of thing. That's never happened on Broadway. You'll never see, you know, uh, Stephen Sondheim give away, you know, uh, you know, any of his for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yeah, just things like that it makes it different. And so, like, while I agree with Al, and I think it would help broaden a lot of musicals, I don't think that's going to happen. I think what will continue to happen is you're going to see musicals get uh, option for movies. Um, and so that's why you're, you know, that's why you see things like Rent and Cats, uh, and Les Mis and Great Show on Earth and something like that. Uh, uh, what? La La Land. Yeah, oh, La La Land. Uh, La La Land went on Broadway, though, I don't think. Was that it? Was, was, was La La Land on Broadway? Mm, honestly, I'm not sure. I, th- I thought it was an original. Okay. I don't know. I, I thought it was too, but I could be wrong on that. But anyway, I mean, but, but anyway, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're just going to continue to see, uh, things like that. I will, you know, and, Hamilton, I don't know. Hamilton's different uh, than a lot of musicals because it's, in my opinion, uh, attempting um, attempting to say something. And Broadway is is very concerned about art for art's sake. It's one of the reasons why Cats didn't translate very well because Cats is not something that can translate to the big screen, in my opinion, because the whole point of that is just hey, look what we can do on stage and perform. You know, here, here's a ballerina. Now here's a guy who's going to sing an opera. Now here's someone who's going to do a rock song. That's what Cats is. Hamilton's a little different because it's not art for art's sake. It's definitely trying to make a statement. Every aspect of it is trying to make a statement, uh, all the way down to the choices of music, to the choice of who's performing the music, uh, the fact that there's uh, the only... I would assume the only white males in it are the guy that plays Charles Lee and the guy that plays King George, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, all your, all your heroes are, uh, you know, uh, people of color. So that to me, that is a, uh, that's a statement of itself. And then last thing I'll say is, uh, Davy Diggs is just on a whole nother level. <laughs> uh, he's, he's one of my, he's, he's quickly become one of my favorite people. And I just kind of want to cast him in everything, you know, like I, I was actually telling uh, Jake uh, yesterday and today 
uh, was I was laying out my my completely logical reasoning to cast a V Diggs as Magneto in the new X Men movie, and uh, you know, and like I don't I don't know I, I don't even, I don't even know if that's logical or not. I'm just at that point with the V Diggs, you know, where I just want him and everything. So so yeah, obviously I I have nothing bad to say about it. Um, as editor in chief of the fan correspondence, I would like to go ahead and take this moment to just say um, hashtag David for Magneto. Um, <laughs> and that, that, is the, Magneto. that is the official just... statement of the fan correspondence right now, by the way. Um, D- David for every X Men. Actually, yeah, that's, it's, it's a one man show. That's an idea. That's an idea. I like it. Oh, goodness. All right. Um, well, I say let's go. I mean, yes. Again, check out Hamilton uh, on Disney Plus. Um, as if, if you're liking any, like he said, you know, don't really don't really want to hear the music before you actually see the performances. I totally get that. Check it out on Disney Plus. If you're if you have like a car ride coming up or something like that, you want to hear the music, go and go ahead on Spotify or iTunes. Um, one other thing I will say is that the soundtrack. I did notice that there were certain things that were sang and spoken differently. That threw me off at first, but that's because uh, I didn't think about the aspect that the soundtrack was done in an actual like recording studio versus like what? the play being live, and so they're obviously saying things differently. You know, they're obviously well, and every night and everything you know, exactly. That's the cool thing about Broadway. Mm. Um, so, so that might if if you were like me and you've been listening to the soundtrack for a long time, that might throw you off a little bit, but it's still it's it's wonderful. It's absolutely worth it. Um, but yeah, we're going to jump right into uh, Defend and Defense Court now. Um, um, hey, Jacob. Oh, sorry. Yeah, um, I do have um, um, a, f- a fact check. Uh, fact check, boy. That's a new thing. Ooh, I'm, ooh, he's back. I'm back. Um, um, I did fact check on the La La Land thing. And um, while La La Land was originally uh, just like an original film, uh, it has since um, been treated and adapted f- for Broadway. So it went the reverse oh, route. Okay. That makes so sense. Yeah. Well, Land's one of my favorites of all time. I think it's real easy to translate that one to Broadway. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can you can definitely see that, especially in the way that a lot a lot of the scenes are shot and everything. Um, I actually I would love to see that on. Uh, like an actual like, stage play. I'd also love to just watch La La Land again. So, so yeah, while we're talking about great things to watch, uh, La La Land is also great to watch. Uh, another one that you, you bring to uh, just a heads up on yeah, that. City of Stars. Yeah, because because uh, you, you've got Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, and they, uh, they, they, they're going to make you feel some things, and uh, that's, yeah, that, that happens. Especially if you're an artist of yeah. any kind. Yeah. A creator. Yeah, it's it's. But anyway, yeah, fan defense court. But yes, yes, get him right into fan defense court. All right, so once again, Al uh, does not know who he is defending uh, up until this point. Okay, um, you asked me, so let's ask Al. Al, Al. Al, who do you think? Oh, yes, yes, sorry. Who, who, who do you think we picked tonight? You already know one person that it isn't, so who do you think we picked? Um, if you had asked me this prior to when you went, Josh, I would... <laughs> I would say something kind of predictable, like, you know, um, Red Hood or or Spider-Man or even like Orman Osborn or something with how often I talk about how Osborn needs to be a central villain in the MCU. 
Um, I would say something kind of predictable like that. But now, since we did yours, and I just had no idea, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my official guest. I'm gonna base it off yours. I'm gonna go with a TV character, and I'm gonna say Agent Dana Scully from the X Files. That's gonna be my guess. Well, here's here's the thing. Okay, so, so that would've been a good one. <laughs> first and foremost, we did go predictable. I did I did bring up Dana Scully at one point. The problem is, is I haven't watched an episode of X Files in years, and I don't think Jimmy and Jake have ever seen any of it. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So I, I I would have loved to have done X Files uh, because I think I think that would have been because you know Dana Scully, Laura Gilmore, basically the same character. If you just want to get right down to it, right? I mean, <laughs> Pretty much the exact same, you know, just two sassy women, you know, out there doing their thing. So, uh, I, I'm sorry, that was insulting. My bad, Al. But anyway, uh, no, we, we, we did go, we did go a little predictable, uh, but I will say it's because I, I kind of forced it because I wanted to, I wanted to do this one. Uh, so, Jake, you can lean into uh, it. Yes, but first of all, I was like, the more I've heard you talk about X-Files, I want to watch more. Um, I, I, I want to believe. I was about to say, um, do you, you know, want to believe? <laughs> want to believe. Um, well, the uh, truth is out there. I would eventually love it. Exactly. Um, especially because you have talked about how it is something that has been very influential to you. And it's odd that it's been influential to you, and yet I have never seen a single episode. So that's something that I think I will definitely be working on here are in the coming weeks. They're all on Netflix, aren't they, or something? Al, Al what are they on? They yeah. were they were on Netflix for a while. Um, they're now available to stream on Hulu. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, but yes, like Josh said, we went predictable. Um, but once again, also like you said, it's because I think these convers- the conversations here are going to be very interesting. Um, so your character is Red Hood. Um, oh wow! Okay. So uh, so yeah. Um, by us being predictable, we weren't predictable. Whoa! We're just oh, we're doing all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> by the time we by the time we get to Jacob, we're gonna change it up so much that it's gonna be a character he doesn't even like. That's, that's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm betting on it. I'm betting on it. Uh, hey, I'm I'm ready. Like I I will go ahead and say this now. I know that we had discussed um, you can't choose characters that the that the person doesn't like. You do that for me. I'm ready. Like I, I think that'd be a lot of fun to try and defend them. Um, so I'm I'm okay if you guys are going to do that. Poss- I would maybe possibly, bring a backup. Possibly around three. Possibly that, around that, three. That, that'd be a cool yeah. one. Yeah, that'd be a cool one too. All right. So our first question. So with Red Hood. Okay. First question is that with so many different interpretations of him out there. Can you give us what you believe is the essential interpretation of the character? Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. It's uh, a cool. It's a good way to start it off. Um, yeah, just to clarify for people um, who don't um, follow DC Comics as closely as as we do and might not know who the hell we're talking about, uh, Red Hood is a Jason Todd. Um, he is the um, um, canonically, he's the second um, person to be Robin, um, to, to a Batman. Um, um, he was always 
you know, he was kind of somewhat recruited. Well, actually, I won't say that as part of his official history because that's been changed. I read kind of a bunch. But, um, you know, he was always kind of, you know, um, the less sanitized Robin for some could say. I don't know if that's exactly the right word, but, um, you know, he was always the one who was a bit more aggressive. He was the one um, when Batman first recruited him into the Bat family. He was trying to, like, steal the tires off the Batmobile, like, that kind of thing. Um, he was always known as one of uh, the Robins who was more rough around the edges. Um, that kind of changed a little bit um, when Damien first showed up because um, Damien had not exactly the same kind of character that Jason was, but he was also just a person with a bit more, a bit more of an abrasive personality um, at first, um, uh, which a lot of people, including me, think kind of adds to his charm, but that's, that's a different podcast. Um, but yeah, Jason Todd um, has, has the honor among comic book characters to prove one of the old sayings about comic books wrong. Um, one of the old, and this, and this is going back a bit, but um, one of the old sayings about comic books when it came to characters who died and came back, one of the old sayings, um, you guys can back me up if you've heard this as well, one of the older sayings was the only three characters who died who aren't coming back are Uncle Ben, Jason Todd, um, and Hucky. Um, of course, we've now seen that that's not true, <laughs> considering uh, the Winter Soldier is a thing and, and Red Hood mm-hmm. is a thing. Um, so we now see that they that comic book fans had a have a nice um, one out of three average on that one. But um, <laughs> kind of makes you feel bad for Uncle Ben in hindsight. I'm going to go on a limb and say, let's not bring Uncle Ben back. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. It's probably a good idea. Um, probably would. But, but um, yeah, and Jason Todd also has the illustrious honor of, um, and I will s- say it like this until the day I die, um, his character was killed uh, by comic book fans. Um, in, in the... In the 80s, there's a lot of different opinions on why this came about or why this was done the way it was. Um, my interpretation of it is that uh, the editors of DC Comics t- didn't really know what to do with Jason. So they had a survey of sorts where readers could call a hotline and decide if Jason was going to be okay at the end of a storyline for Batman being written or if Jason was going to die. Um, and <laughs> true, true to the principles of mob rule, um, they decided to kill that child. Uh, <laughs> they were just like, no, 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 this, this child who's already had a rough life probably needs to die. So Jason Todd was killed by the Joker. Um, um, exactly what happens with the Joker has also kind of been changed and modulated a bit, but the common theme is that, um, he was beaten to death with a crowbar. Um, and then blown up. Um, very, a very fun storyline for Batman. Um, 
and <laughs> a, a very family-friendly story. Um, and then the whole hook about Jason Todd and on the modern era of comics is that um, through various um, shenanigans, the one I prefer is that um, Rachel Ghoul um, got Jason Todd's um, corpse and put him into the Hazardous Pit and restored his life. Um, I think other retcons of that story is that he just spontaneously came back to life for some stupid stuff like that. I don't know. Anyway. You got to bring up one, Al, because the best one is Superboy Prime punching reality and bringing him back. Punching reality. That's true. Yeah. That's true. No, no, you're right. That's my preferred storyline. That's my preferred <laughs> story. <laughs> That's the one. Um, so, yeah, when uh, Jason Todd came back, regardless of which uh, of canon is going on, when Jason Todd came back, um, he came back very broken. He came back very enraged. He was particularly enraged when he found out that after Joker killed him, uh, Bruce did not um, did not kill Joker in return. Um, or anybody um, failed to kill Joker in return. But I think, I think that thought process is going to come up in a later question, so I'll save that one. Um, and um, he came back as a vigilante, but as a much more um, violent um, vigilante. Um, he used guns. He killed the criminals he found. Um, he, he was more likely to kind of uh, mess with and um, manipulate the criminal on the ground um, than getting them arrested and throwing them into jail instead so that he had a bit more control um, over crime that way. Um, and that um, inevitably led to confrontations with um, Hatman. If you want to read um, Jason Todd's story, read Under the Red Hood. Um, it's fantastic. Also, watch the animated film Under the Red Hood because it's also fantastic. Just a great storyline. Um, so, yeah, that's about who Jason Todd is. Now, Jason Todd's been treated a few different ways by a few different writers and in a few different kind of small-scale eras of comics, if you will. Um, Jason Todd has been painted as a vigilante who's very ruthless, who's very bloodthirsty, who's just a borderline psychopath. Um, he's been written as someone who starts off that way, but is a bit more pliable, um, who's a bit more open to guidance and relationship and softening his ways. He's been written somewhere in between where he worked with the bat family, but he'll still do his own thing. Um, psychology of Jason Todd is really interesting if you can get a writer who who writes about that well. Um, Scott Lobdell does not. Um, sorry to draw, sorry to throw anybody under the bus, but considering what we've learned about Scott Lobdell and his personal life, I don't feel all that bad. Um, so oh, we knew, I knew where this podcast was going, so no, you go right ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Most recently, Jason Todd's treatment in comics has usually been to pair him up with other people, which is a really interesting choice when you have a character who canonically has always been on the outside of his family or team unit. So that's always a great idea. Um, but um, that's led to the recurring um, title of Red Hood of the Outlaws, where he teams up with various um, young vigilantes or antiheroes or whoever may possibly be on the team at that point. Um, very horribly done and 
over-sexualized version of Starfire was a popular choice for a while. Um, and so, oh, and Arsenal was as well, which, oh boy, I'm getting off track. Sorry. Anyway, Jason Todd. <laughs> um, for me, the core of Jason Todd, and this is a part of him where, like, he doesn't have to be written so much uniformly in his behavior. I think you can have a Jason Todd who's rougher and a Jason Todd who's more willing to to take permanent solutions with criminals and things like that. I think you can also do a Jason Todd who is more apt to work with others, who's more apt to kind of take their cue on the extent of violence. He might team up with the Bat Family. He might team up with Artemis and Bizarro if he has to, I guess. Um, I think you can do either of those things, and I think you can do somewhere in between without really uh, betraying the nature of the character. Because to me, the nature of Jason Todd um, it relies on three things to be a genuine portrayal of his character. One is his anger. Um, at the end of the day, I think Jason Todd is a character who at, who at the end of whatever the adventure is, whatever questions he's asked at that point, he is driven primarily by this sense of rage that just kind of overtakes him. I've always said that the biggest missed opportunity writers have ever done with Jason Todd is not give him a Red Lantern ring. Um, because his character is driven by those feelings of rage. And whether the iteration of Jason is one where he embraces that rage full on, it becomes very violent, becomes very dogmatic about his anti-crime crusade, or if it's one where he learns ways to assuage it or channel it into a more positive way of fighting crime, in some people's opinion, um, regardless of what he does with it, rage needs to be at the center of where his stories are because it's at the center of who the character is. The worst Jason Todd stories are the ones where he doesn't at least wrestle with the feelings of anger he has because that what, that is what has created the character, not just post Under the Red Hood, but I think also going back to some of his earlier times as Robin. Um, the second thing his character relies on is this unquivering, um, unrelenting idea and unshakable belief that what he is doing is right. He's kind of like the Punisher in that way. Um, I always kind of cringe when people jump to the Punisher Jason Todd comparison because I don't think it's as well fleshed out as people think it is. But in that regard, um, Jason Todd is a character who believes that what he is doing is right. He believes that the crusade he's on and the feelings he has are justified. Um, and I think that's an essential part of his character is that, yeah, he'll work with other people. He'll take some time to listen to other people to get to where he is in that story. But once he arrives at that destination, there is no getting him off of it. Um, he, he is insatiable after he makes up his mind. 
And that, again, goes into kind of the feelings of anger and rage that underlie his character. Um, and then the third thing I believe in for Jason Todd, um, a lot of people don't agree with me on this, but I don't really understand how they disagree with me, is that I believe at the end of the day, a good Jason Todd story, a good depiction of the character, in some way needs to go back to his relationship with Bruce. Um, there's been tons of storylines with Jason Todd where it's just like, yeah, he'll go on like a spiritual journey where like his soul enters a new, a new plane and he has to contend with his inner demons and stuff. That's a, it's a real story that Scott Lobdell wrote. Um, (laughs) if you're tired of throwing Jason Todd on a team, just have him enter the spiritual plane. That's good for everybody. Um, um, but there's a lot of Jason Todd stories that I personally think are not very good because they take him away from the thing that created him. Um, way back when we were doing Ginny's character uh, for Jessica Jones for Defense Court, we talked about this idea of is Jessica Jones a character who is defined by her trauma or defined by the bad things in her life, or is she a character who's defined by her ability to move on? Um, Jason Todd is right in the center of that spectrum because there's a big part of Jason that does not want anything to do with a bad family and does not want anything to do with Hatman himself because he's always felt like the outsider on that team or with that unit. Um, but there is an undeniable part of Jason that he cannot escape that is tied to what he believes his relationship with Bruce to be and what, how that relationship is fleshed out or defined can kind of depend on the story or the writer um, to a certain point. But I think Jason is very much a character who is very much defined by his struggle to get away from, but still a part of him wants to hold on to the person who took him in, who mentored him, but he feels like also betrayed him. Um, but yeah, there you go. Broke it down into a nice three-point presentation right there. Uh, I, I feel like we need a PowerPoint for that one. That was, that was really good. Uh breakdown there um and and this leads into a question i've gotten and you you correctly stated that uh, you weren't going to go somewhere because you knew we were going to ask about it um but you, you want one of the bring up jessica jones almost as a um, as a uh not a comparison um but jessica jones uh and jason todd differ in that jessica jones is really kind of a self-made person. And you talk about how Jason Todd is linked to the Bat family. Um, And so one of the things I do want to ask um, about Jason Todd is, do you see Red Hood, you know, as as what Jason Todd is trying to do? Uh, You know, if, if he even knows what he's trying to do. Do you see that as a rejection of Batman's values? Or does he maintain Batman's values in some ways? Mm. Yeah. Um, I think that's a very 
Very good question. Um, well, the easy, <laughs> fast and easy answer, right, is just that, well, he believes in the justice for c criminals, but, like, he believes in his way, and he believes that Batman is wrong because he doesn't carry it out entirely, right? It's like the fast and easy, <laughs> fast and easy answer, right? Just like he agrees with Batman up to the point where Batman doesn't kill his villains, right? Um, I think but, there's but a, what, what's interesting about that, if I can interject real quick, Al, yeah. is that, and then and th th this is why I'm asking this question is because every single time there's an event in the Bat family, someone call like Batman calls Jason. I mean, he. He's 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 always he's always part of it. He's part of Batman Eternal. He's part of mm -hmm. uh, you know, All Star Batman Raw. He's part of Court of Owls. He's part of Death of the Family. Uh, you know, he's part of Endgame. He's I mean he's 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 always there. Uh, in this in this recent one uh, where uh, Bane has taken had taken over the city, he's part of that. Um, so you know, like he so so you know, like. What, what I think an aspect of this that needs to be answered is, you know, you know why. Also, why does Batman call him if if because that is a that's a pretty severe rejection of Batman's values right there that he kills people. So why does Batman keep calling him? And then also, why does Jason Todd keep answering as well? Right, right. Um, well, and I want to point out that you have turned this question into three questions, but <laughs> but that's okay. I'm well aware. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, first, uh, before I get to uh, before I get to those two points, I do want to finish up the first thought because I did say, you know, that's a fast and easy answer. Um, that's not necessarily the answer that I that I subscribe to. Um, I think there's I think there's more at play with Jason Todd than just yeah he believes in in what Batman does, but he's angry so he kills people. I feel like that's the very watered-down version of who the character is. Um, just because when you think about Jason, um, I'm c c coming from the perspective in the real world as a person very much rooted in my psychological profession, which in turn is very much shaped by social psychology. Um, and the idea that like we are formed by the people around us in a large part. Um, when you think about the influences that Jason has had in his life, by far the most, the largest influence and most significant influence is Bruce Wayne. That point is inarguable. You know, it's just, just how it is. Batman is the single largest influence on who Jason Todd is. Um, to say that he's a sole influence, I think, um, is not right, in my opinion, because, and I'll direct everybody to uh, the source material I based this off of, there was a six-issue run that um, fits very idly into a nice trade. Um, it's usually available at uh, the library. I know I've gotten it from uh, the Davis County Library before. Um, called Red Hood, The Lost Days. Basically, it's a comic um, not written by Scott Lobdell, um, but basically it's a comic that addresses um, what happened to Jason in between the time 
he got resurrected and the time he returned to Gotham. Um, those are the lost days. And what you learn about it in this canon is that Jason spent that time in between training with various masters. Um, he visited a lot of the same masters uh, the Batman trained with. Um, he trains with a lot of, of different um, assassins. Um, um, there's a point where uh, the writer kind of describes Jason as like, a fully blank slate because he's willing to learn and utilize the things that Bruce would not have. Um, and so you have Jason as being a product of the influence from Batman, but you also have Jason as a product of the influence from these other teachers he's spending his days with the influence from, if you subscribe to this interpretation of the canon, which again, I usually do, um, the little Azurus pit with Raish. Um, um, I would love, I would adore a comic, just like a five or six issue run, just talking about the time Jason spent with Rachel Ghoul after he got revived in Lazarus Pit. I think that'd be super interesting. Um, but you also have the fact that Jason is very much influenced by, um, as much as he might not want to admit this, he's very much influenced by the Joker and the kind of person the Joker is and the kind of things he did to him. Um, you know, as a young man, he was he was um, brutalized by a total insane clown. Like, he was beaten to death. Um, that... Um, that's also a significant influence as well. So to say that, like, you know, does he uphold the same values as Batman? I think the quick and fast answer is right to a point where, like, yeah, he does believe in those values because Batman believes that there should be justice, right? There should be space for people to grow and to do the right thing without the threat of, of crime and without the threat of evil, unjust men. Um, and I think Jason Todd believes that. I think that's a really big part of his ethos. Um, but you can't discount the other influences that have come into his life. And that kind of explains why he deviates from the core of Batman, of Batman's values so much. Um, of course, it's a choice that's not to take any responsibility away from him. But there's a... There's a bit more to the ideology of why Jason does what he does in comparison to how Batman does what he does. Um, that being said, to say why Batman always calls him when stuff's going down and why Jason always picks up the phone and answers when Batman calls, um, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And to really answer that, you kind of you not only have to get into kind of the psyche of Jason, but you kind of have to get into the psyche of Batman, right? Um, Josh, you are the resident expert on Batman. Um, you know just about everything there is to know on the character. Um, a big part of what Batman believes in, as you said it yourself in your first defense court, um, Batman is a person who usually, if not always, 
believes that people deserve a chance. Um, he believes that people are are way more than just the worst parts of themselves. Um, and that belief he has extends probably more so to anybody else that extends to Jason because Jason has often been called, I think even endorsed by you, Jason has often been called Batman's biggest mistake. Um, and a part of, of who Batman is and what he believes, what his values are, since we talked about his values, is that Jason can be way more than just a mistake. And Jason can be way more than a victim controlled by his rage, which a lot of people think of him as, and a lot of writers even think of him as, which I think is totally off base. Um, and that kind of goes to why Batman always calls him, is because he believes that Jason can be more than judge, jury, and executioner. And he wants to give Jason an opportunity to prove that um, and open up an avenue for healing through that to kind of rise above what his base instinct is. Now, the reason why Jason responds, I think, is the far more interesting question than why Batman always calls. Because Batman always calls because that's who he is, right? It's Batman. He wants to give people a chance. Um, why Jason always answers is a really interesting question. And that goes to this idea, which again, this could be a question you guys are preparing to ask me. Um, does Jason hate Bruce? That's a question I get a lot as a big Jason Todd fan, is does Jason Todd hate Bruce Wayne? Um, and I think it depends on where Jason is at in his story. Um, right, fresh off revival, yeah. J Jason hates Bruce, absolutely. Um, but to describe Jason Todd as a static character, as if that's where he stays, that hatred of Batman, I think that's a... I think that's a flawed understanding of his character and the history of the stories he's been in because um, Jason, I think a part of him wants the same thing that Batman wants. I don't know if it's a conscious part of him, but I think there's a part of Jason that wants what Batman wants because if he did not, why would he cooperate with the Bat family? Right. He could show up when called and just start, just start capping people right yeah but he doesn't when he shows up to gotham his the first thing he does is not s s set up a sniper on a rooftop and headshot bane right <laughs> that's not that's not what he does when he teams up with the bat family way more often than not he he plays by their rules you know he agrees you know i won't do a kill shot if i shoot somebody it'll be to wound or disarm you know i'll use my fists it's whatever, like, fine, I'll play by your rules. If Jason did not want something from those relationships, then I don't think he would behave that way. You know what I mean? Um, I think there's also kind of, on the flip side of that kind of positive interpretation, I think equally there's kind of an arrogant interpretation there as well. Um, the child who feels like he's spurned from the family there's a part of him that wants to show up again and show him and show them like, Hey, Hey, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing this way better than you ever, than you ever could. And I think that part of personality is there for Jason as well, which kind of explains why he always answers because he sees that as, Hey, 
this is my shot to show Batman that he's not always right. This is my shot to show him that I haven't completely lost myself. I can do what he does better than he can. And to show it off even more, I'll even play by the rules. Like I'll, I'll even do it his way. Even though I, I might not entirely agree with it again, according to the writer and the story or whatever. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think to answer that question, you kind of have to go a bit into both character psyche and you kind of have to understand that, that these characters are just like real human beings. They're complicated. It's not always a matter of, well, he does this because this or this. It's often a matter of, well, there's a little bit of both reasons in there that kind of explain the behavior or start to explain the behavior. But um, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I would say. That's how I would handle your your three-in-one question, you <laughs> classical Trinitarian. Classical Trinitarian. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think that's a I think that's uh, that's a very good answer, Al. Um, you know, I uh, do you do you uh, I, I, one follow up? I, I'm being annoying. That's one follow up. He literally had one question. Yeah, I, I literally did. They <laughs> they gave me they, they they tried to they tried to put me in a corner, and it, it's not working. Yeah. Um, do you think so? Like, I I, I think Batman sees Red Hood as, or well, not, not Red Hood, Jason as his biggest failure. Not in, not in the sense that Jason screwed up all that much, but that he couldn't save Jason. Right. Um, but there's also this sense, there's this really fantastic, fantastic moment in uh, Batman Eternal where uh, there's a flashback scene where Barbara at one point just walks up to Jason and says, no matter what, you'll never be Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. And do you think there's a there's a sense also there where, uh, amongst the Bat family at least, you know that Jason uh, kind of comes back. Uh, you kind of answer this, but like I want you to expound a little more. Kind of comes back because he does see himself as the failure of the Bat family, because you know they're all the rest of the Bat family is you know pretty you know, I mean, pretty well liked on this side of the law. Red Hood's kind of the out, outlier. You know, right. do, you, do you think that's maybe something that Red Hood sees himself as, is like the, you know, I think he used the word spurned child, but do you think it maybe goes a little deeper in that where he's like, he, 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 he's the messed up one, you know? What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think that there's definitely some of that there. <laughs> I think that's a credible idea. Um, when it comes to um, how Jason feels about the other Robins and other uh, and the Batgirls and members of the Bat family, um, I think at the end of the day, his main focus um, is still Bruce. Um, um, if y'all go back in the podcast a bit, you heard uh, that one of the projects I would like to do one day is um, a comic based on the conflict uh, between Jason and Dick Grayson. Um, and I think that is an, a really interesting uh, um, conflict. I think there is a lot of tension there. I think there's a lot of comparison that Jason does there uh, between himself and Dick Grayson. But um, I do think at the end of the day, it's a matter of the relationship between him and Bruce. Um, um, 
as far as see it's interesting i'm not i'm not sure i would completely endorse the idea that jason sees himself as a failure um i think that again he's a complicated character so you could definitely say that it's a little bit of both but i would definitely lean more towards that if anything Jason almost feels an air of of superiority to the rest of the Bat family. Um, I think that air of superiority. I think that can complement his his desire to to repeatedly show up and prove himself, and um, and his mind kind of step down to their level of how they handle things, but. Um, and the reason I think that is because I go back to during um, the d- d- death of the family uh, um, event uh, by Scott Snyder, uh, not the eighties comic. The titles are really similar for those listening to the podcast, but um, the Scott Snyder event, um, that event had a really great team up with Jason and t- Tim Drake. Um where they're fighting alongside each other um, through one of the traps that Joker has set for them and stuff. Um, this is happening in on the Red Hood comics, I'm pretty sure. But um, and they're having they're having this team up. They have a lot of great exchanges with each other. It's kind of a really cool insight into like the differences in their philosophies and like the things they had in common and things like that. Um, towards the end of the team up, the um, and the Joker shows up, or who they think is a Joker, you find out it's not actually. But um, the Joker shows up. Um, after this team up with Tim, who Tim is, is like kind of this like bright light in the Bat family, you know, he's super intelligent, he, he's, he's a great follower of what Bruce does, he believes in the mission and things like that. After this great team up that Jason has with him, um, without hesitation, Jason caps the Joker or who he thinks is the Joker, just without hesitation. Um, and Tim has a really interesting um, introspection about it that, say, that says kind of like, you know, if it, if it was any of us who, who did it, it had to be Jason. Um, it could be a good thing that we have somebody like him in the family. Um, afterwards, you find out that it wasn't actually Joker. He killed him. Blah, 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 blah. But um, the fact that Jason, after this great team up with Tim, without hesitation, just caps the Joker. Um, I think that speaks volumes to to where he, he sees himself in the family. And I think that shows that Jason has very much accepted his role of being on the outside. And while he's not happy about it, I think that does serve to kind of show his his kind of air of superiority he has about the way he does things. Because again, without hesitation, just like I know we've I know we've been teaming up. I know you brought up some good points. You know, you kind of had me thinking a bit. At the end of the day, I'm going to kill him, and I I won't hesitate, and I won't f- feel bad about it. And I think that really speaks volumes to where he sees himself in the family, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a good answer. It's a good answer. I'll I'll, I'll stop right there. <laughs> I'll ask the best question. Um. So, Al, first of all, I just want to say you've, you've really, uh, I've learned a lot just from listening to you talk about this character because I didn't know a whole lot about him. Um, my first introduction to Jason Todd um, was back when Jared Leto started doing the Joker and there were rumors that he was going to end up being Jason Todd. That was literally the first time I'd ever heard this character. Did, did you hear Al sold that? Yeah, I did. Like, <laughs> That's, uh, None of my questions have to do with that. That isn't the basis of your question, is it? Because this podcast is going to be like five no, hours long if it is. I, I just want to say thank you for shedding light on um, a much, uh, a very interesting character yeah. that was almost ruined. And now um, the podcast takes a turn. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. I'm just thanking you for your knowledge. Um, but so my question is, uh, what is Red Hood's role in the Bat family? Which you kind of shed light on this a little bit, but... Yeah, sure. No, um, no, no. That's a work. That's a topic that's that's worth a lot of discussion. Um, um, I could write a book, <laughs> just kind of about like the uh, the family dynamic theory of the Bat Family and where Jason Todd kind of falls into it. Um, but yeah, um, Jason, uh, kind of as I've said, um, he's an outsider. Um, as far as Bruce goes, I don't think that's anything intentional on Batman's part. I don't. I think if anything, Batman has shown that he has tried to do the opposite. He has tried to incorporate or reincorporate Jason back into the family. Um, he's given him a lot of opportunities to kind of accept that and work with him towards that. So, like when I say that uh, Jason Todd is an outsider to the Bat family, I don't want people to get confused and think, oh. Hatman's the worst because he he spurns Jason and chases him away from the family. Um, I think the opposite is true. Um, but um, but um, yeah, his role in the Bat Family. And again, Josh brought this up. He, you know, he shows up when he's called. Um, he's still there. Uh, I've talked about it could be a part of him kind of kind of wanting to prove himself. It could be a part of him kind of a piece of him wanting to get back into the family, but there's various parts of his past that hold him back from that. Um, and um, on the Batman Eternal comic uh, has, whew, has tons of great scenes with um, Jason Todd interacting with the Bat family. Um, it's just, it's just such a well done comic it does the impossible and balances so many different characters and character dynamics so well. Everyone should read Batman Eternal um, and Batman and Robin Eternal as well. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of t tension uh, between Jason and the rest of the Bat family. Um, you know, we've talked about how Jason Todd kind of feels an air of comparison uh, between him and Tig Grayson. Um, Arbor Gordon has has straight up just kind of thrown shade at Jason, saying, you know, you won't ever be Dick Grayson, you know, you won't ever be, you know, the f favorite child or anything like that. Um, I, um, I talked about the really cool team up between him and Tim. Um, I wish we got a lot more stories like that because I think he and Tim are really 
um, are really interesting um, partners. They're really interesting characters together. Um, I haven't read a ton of interactions between Jason, Damian Wayne, but just from the relationships uh, that Damian has with the people like Tim and Dick Grayson and, and things like that, there's also a lot of tension there as well, just kind of where alliances have been drawn. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because Ch- Jason definitely feels the need to be his own person, to be the kind of hero that he believes he needs to be. But um, there is always that call. There's always that call that brings him back to Gotham, that brings him back to um, the Bat family, however long that may last. But um, um, yeah, it's very much a role that uh, he feels like an outsider. And just kind of based on the history of the character, I don't really know if that role will ever really change. It might have potential to, if done the right way, if focused on the right kind of relationships. Again, if the focus is heavily on the relationship between Batman and Bruce. Batman and Bruce. There's been tons of comics about the relationship between Batman and Bruce. Um, (laughs) Between Jason and Bruce. Um, I think ultimately it does have to go back there to really change anything about it. Um, But I don't know. Recently, where the character's been, I don't really, I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. I'm not all the way uh, caught up on Batman comics, but so there could be something there in the works that I haven't read yet. But as far as I, I see it, I don't really see that outsider kind of black sheep role for Jason that he's internalized really ever um, change very much. But could be wrong. Never know. It's a cool thing about comics. He was moving that way towards the end of New Fifty Two, and then when they did a rebirth, uh, because at the end of New Fifty Two, that comic's just Red Hood, yeah. and, and with Batman and Robin Eternal, there's a real shift in how all the Robins see each other because yeah. there's that whole you know thing where they all find out that you know Batman has been training them to work together against threats that are too big. Excuse me, too big for Batman. Uh, but of course, everybody hated 52. So then when we did Rebirth, we were like, we're going to throw Bizarro and <laughs> who, who was the, it was Artemis. Artemis? Bizarro Artemis. and Artemis just randomly yeah. with him, which I can't think of two more random people, yeah. you know, other than maybe Starfire and Arsenal to throw with uh, Jason Todd. But yeah. Yep, the readers couldn't either. So you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then my uh, next question is, why is Red Hood always part of a group? <laughs> yeah. That's a really good question, Jenny. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Can that just be my answer? Can I just say I don't know and be done yeah. with that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, uh, well, do, do, I mean, is there, is there a sense that, because like, I think Red Hood, no joke, is probably one of the ten most popular DC characters. I mean, when you go to Comic Con, you see, you know, you yeah, see a lot, a lot of Deadpool's and you see a lot of Red Hoods. Yeah. Because their aesthetic, of course, of course, their aesthetic's very similar, but like aesthetically, I mean, Red Hood just looks cool. He just, yeah. you know, with the guns and you know, and everything, yeah. the bomber jacket, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So, why do you think there's not this? There's this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking an opinion. You know, why do you think there's not this trust 
in a and just leaving Red Hood by himself. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, both you and Jenny ask a really, really good question. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to not be nasty on this one because a really easy answer is Scott Lobdell doesn't know how to write the character, um, and I think there is truth but, to but, that. Okay, but but here, here I, I, I agree with that. But here's the thing: it's not just Lobdell. See, Batman's under the Batman editorial, or excuse me, Red Hood's under the Batman editorial team. Yeah. So like, the editorial team is laying down like. You know, okay, well, you've got to put, you can't just have a Red Hood comic. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, we can have a Nightwing comic, we have a Batgirl comic. You know, we can even have a Damien comic at one point. But the Red Hood comic by itself, we haven't seen that since pre-New 52. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, I I think it relates to, and I know this is like Phantom Defense Court, so you don't usually hear the defense um, admit a flaw or a weakness of the character. But I'm about to. Um, I think the most significant weakness of Jason Todd as a character, as a Red Hood, I think the main thing kind of holding him back from having his own solo comic um, and really his own Red Hood-centric world, if you will, um, is that Red Hood really doesn't I mean, you could say he doesn't have a good rogues gallery. Red Hood can hardly be said to have a rogues gallery of his own, right? Um, he doesn't have a lot of interesting villains who can kind of carry the other side of a solo adventure. Um, you know, the main the main interesting people he goes up against are either Batman villains. Um, Joker, who I think in a lot of ways is just as much a Red Hood villain as he is a Batman villain. Uh, uh, we just don't see it as much in his comics because, again, he's always on the team and teams kind of complicate things. Um, and and when he's the antagonist for Batman himself, <laughs> like we see in Under the Red Hood and like we see in Arkham Knight. Um, I think... And that's always hard because comics, as much as we love when comics innovate and change and grow, um, there's also a big part of comic books that are very that are very much rested in the past or rested on on the tradition of the characters. Um, you know, you don't hear a lot about like brand new characters coming out of a comic book. Um, you do occasionally, and sometimes you do when, like, they're a new character that's kind of like a spinoff of an old rogue or whatever it might be. Um, it's hard to build a rogues gallery from the ground up. I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm not going to sit here and just be like, well, the editorial team needs to get their crap together. They need to just create an interesting rogues gallery for Red Hood and get the comic going. Uh, that's not easy to do. Um, but... Um, the solution I would offer to that is just have Red Hood be kind of this transient character who kind of travels across the country, um, just kind of f- finding various um, criminal undergrounds or antagonists in various areas um, and and um, opposing them. 
that way you can have solo stories. If you really want to do team ups, you can have them arrive in various cities that already have their own superheroes and see how they kind of interact with each other. Uh, there was a great Red Hood story. Um, I think I've talked about it before. He goes to Metropolis and teams up with S- S- Supergirl. And it was a fantastic story. And it was fantastic because it worked as a team up and it also worked because it emphasized the unique characteristics of each character as well. And I think having him live that kind of transient kind of roaming vigilante lifestyle where he can do his own thing, but there's still room for team ups. If you really want to do team ups, I think that would be really cool. Um, They've done that in Red Hood and the outlaws, but they've always included the outlaws. Um, And I feel like that, I feel like him being on a team wouldn't be inherently so bad, but they just give him the most random characters to team up with. Like I'd be at a loss to write a story if your team up characters are Bizarro and Artemis. Like seriously, (laughs) yeah, I'd be I'd be at a loss too. I don't know what you want from me, but um, yeah, it's very interesting. I think I think if there ever is a writer who really captures an interesting solo red hood story i think you're going to see the character have like a wild resurgence um i'll just say the character is like dead in any way because he was spoiler alert for an old game he was the antagonist in arkham knight like oh my god so not to so not to say the character's dead by any means but as far as like in the comics i think uh being able to deliver that would really do a lot for the character it would really do a lot to uh, boost his sales and boost the interest around him but um but yeah Good answer on that one. Um, this actually leads to the last question, just because you know you really you kind of you kind of gone around it, um, but we haven't really got down to just the the simplest question, which is: Is Jason Todd is Red Hood a hero? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, are any of us heroes? What is a hero? Yeah. Um, Whoa! Yeah, I'm about, I'm about to wax philosophical, but, um, but no. Um, I mean, I think I think it's hard to argue that he isn't for a majority of his stories. Um, I don't think he was a hero when the Red Hood side of him was first introduced. Um, and under the Red Hood, I think he was very clearly an antagonist. Um, same thing in Arkham Knight. I think he was very clearly serving the role as an antagonist. Again, I'm sorry if I spoiled a old game for you that people called who the Arkham Knight was when the trailers came out. Um, <laughs> sorry if I spoiled that for you. Um, um, so I think in those situations, I think he's very he's very much more of kind of an antagonist, um, almost a villain in some regards. I want to go all the way to villain. But um, I'm definitely an antagonist in those cases. But once you get past that introduction of of the Red Hood part of him, um, um, again, I mean, the second question we talked about today was why does Red Hood espouse so many of the same values as Batman? 
Um, I think a person who follows the core philosophy of Bruce Wayne, I think you have a hard time trying to trying to argue that he isn't a hero because the core philosophy of Batman is at its core very just. It's very altruistic. Um, you know, the fact that Red Hood goes about it a different way by uh, by killing his enemies, um, I think that's really a matter of the reader's own ethics and morality. Um, um, I'll say right now, if you're a comic book fan and you say that the Punisher's a hero, then you have no way of saying that Jason Todd is not. Um, that math does not work yeah. out. In, in any way, shape, or form, because I, I love the Punisher. I love Frank Castle. Um, he, he he is a much more ethically questionable character than Jason Todd is. Um, um, I won't go into that, because that's a topic for an entirely other podcast. Oh. But, um, yeah, at its core, Jason Todd, first of all, is following the values that Bruce Wayne taught him. Um, that right there is the foundation. Says that he's a hero. Um, he carries those out because he's on his own crusade. And that crusade is to stop crime and stop the kinds of people from hurting others the same way that he was hurt. Um, it's, it's a very good aligned, very... I need to protect other people way of thinking um, that plays out again. It's a reader's choice on if you agree with killing the criminals, but um, that's why he does it. Um, that's his reasoning. Um, with Jason Todd, you hear the term anti-hero thrown around a lot. Um, I think that's a fine able for the character um if you want to use that word anti-hero i don't know anti-hero is is used just way too widely in a lot of <laughs> in a lot of context for a lot of different characters i've heard frank castle be referred to as an anti-hero i've heard bruce wayne be referred to as an anti-hero I'm not sure people really understand the meaning of the word when they use it every time, <laughs> but I think Jason Todd is one of those characters that fits the category a bit more than other characters who might get that category. Um, because he believes in helping people. He believes in doing the right thing. He believes in protecting people who can't protect themselves. Um, how he does it is very violent. Um, he's not a character who's all that concerned about grace or about second chances um which i think says a lot more about how he feels about himself um, um i think he's coming from an area where um everyone around him tries to think of just like oh we either you know we need to give jason a second chance or or no he doesn't deserve a second chance or he's somewhere in between he has to write um, and correct the way he's been acting, and, and then we can see about giving him a second chance or whatever it might be. Um, Jason is done with all that. Um, I alluded to it um, earlier with one of the questions. Uh, when Jason 
when Jason comes back, he he's really angry about Bruce not having killed the Joker, right? That's something he's angry about. He feels like he should have. Um, something that's not paid a lot of attention to is that Jason isn't just mad at Bruce for not killing the Joker. He lives in a universe where there's all kinds of vigilantes and heroes who watched this teenage child get beaten to death and blown up and think, no, I'm good. I'll let him live. Like that's, that's his reaction to the world. Um, So this is a character that like, when you talk about, is he a hero? Is he an anti-hero? Is he an antagonist? I think the discussion there is kind of a moot point because that discussion really doesn't add her that much to Jason himself because he's he's seen the inaction that people called heroes have when something terrible happens. And to him, that says way more about the labels of hero or antagonist or anti-hero. That says way more about those those categories than than whether or not he kills a serial killer or a drug lord ever could, right? Um, I think he's a character who kind of defies those categories, and he doesn't have an, an easy answer to that question. Um, again, if I had to, there was like a gun to my head and said, give a category to Jason Todd, I'd probably say, yeah, sure, he's an antihero. He's a more traditional definition of an antihero but you know i think i think if you were to ask him that i think i don't think he'd really see the point in offering you an answer and i think that says a lot more about the character than than any kind of attempt to categorize or label him ever could yeah yeah i think that's i what a finale that that was that was that was was, that was that was great um (laughs) Yeah, no, Al, you have that that that's it for our questions. Uh, you have done absolutely fantastic on this. Um, you know, you have you have done a fantastic job defending Jason. You have you. I will personally say that you've actually given me more to think about the character. And I mean, and Jason was a character I already enjoyed, but now I've got even more to really kind of dive into and really kind of think about him and really what what needs to happen for him as a character. Um, yeah, but. But once again, as you as you uh, said, other conversations for other times. Uh, does anyone have any closing uh, comments or anything? Uh, yeah, just a just a fantastic uh, summation of the character all the way around. That's that's really the main reason I I pushed for for Jason on this, even though it wasn't uh, maybe as uh, unexpected as Lorelai. <laughs> but like, but, but you know, I, I there's there really is not a uh, a standard summation of the character right now uh, he's been pulled and pushed in so many different ways uh he's been written so well and written so poorly it's really hard to get a a firm ground on what he is so that that's why i enjoyed this house so yeah absolutely great job personally i knew it all already but it was great it was good yeah and as somebody who didn't know the character i really appreciated all the information it was really awesome and then it was something i could understand really easily so thank you no no it was fun it was fun. I love talking about characters I like. Um, it's so much. It's so much more enjoyable to talk about characters you like than characters you don't like. <laughs> just at the end of the day, it's kind of like that thing of just like it's. It's so much easier to like 
to just be nice than to go out of your way to be mean or crappy. Like, I don't know, just fun. Gives me good, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good, gives me good, warm feelings to talk about characters I love. It's good stuff. Yay! On that note, uh, we are going. We are going to end it. Um, you know, it's 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 fitting that we've been talking about Jason, um, a character who once you, as Al said, once he first came back, was very much full of rage and very much felt like he was alone in the world. Um, I just want to remind you all that if you do ever feel that way, please make sure you try to reach out to someone. Um, and also, you know, the very idea of fandom is for everyone is true in that aspect. Um, everyone is welcome here amongst fandom correspondents. Any kind of conversations will always be respectful. Um, and, you know, there there is truly something for everyone out there. So maybe Jason, maybe Jason Todd's a new character for you, someone you can identify with. Go check him out. Maybe you're more like me and you prefer you prefer Nightwing. That's okay. You know, that works. Um, you know, it's it's really just up to you because one because once again and truthfully, fandom is for everyone. Thank you all so very much for listening uh, this week. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we have Raven is gonna be is gonna be on there. Oh. Uh, ho ho. <laughs> but she has no idea what character we're gonna be using. So, you know, once again, that's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Are we are we gonna go something predictable uh, like we did with Al? Or are we gonna go just completely and totally wild? Who knows? We'll we'll have to wait and see. So, thank you all once again so much. Y'all have a good night.